You're listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Terry Riley, which is from our sermon series, Good Things from a Bad Time. For more information, please visit our website at www.creekside.org. Uh, I want to invite you to invest in our uh, t-shirt making company, Riley Sakra. Uh, Sakra made me this t-shirt after my statement last year that I thought I would start branding this saying that you are the reason for the season. And I hope you experienced that, uh, where you just felt the love and the presence of Christ Jesus. And uh, so we're thrilled that you're here today, and uh, we're going to be kicking off the new year. Uh, Let's face it, we're moving into 2021. 2020 has not been the best of years. These past nine months have been pretty difficult for most people. Uh, I, was, I looked up the definition of what a tsunami was, and I think that really kind of fits. Here's the definition. A tsunami is a series of waves in a water body caused by the displacement of a large volume of water, generally in an ocean or a large lake. Earthquakes, volcanic eruptions, and other underwater explosions above or below the water all have the potential to generate a tsunami. So a tsunami is generated by the displacement of water. Uh, What a great definition. I love that. Uh, Isn't it true? Uh, So many of us would feel like we've been flooded by eruptions and activity and shaking of so many things. Uh, I don't even need to go through the list this morning to remind you of all of those things. Uh, We've all experienced it in some way. I mean, here I just grabbed a few newspapers uh, from the past couple, couple weeks. Here's one, uh, East Bay Times. Uh, at hospital, Christmas is going to be very difficult, just what everybody wants to hear. Uh, here is the headline about a week and a half ago, getting beyond 2020. That seems to be everybody's thought and process at this time of year. Trust me, I'm not one of these people that believes for a minute that turning the page of a calendar is going to change the year. But it does give us an opportunity to reset. Time magazine called it 2020, the worst year ever. The one we never want to revisit. And I think we would all say that that's true. Uh, but, but here's the facts and the reality of where we are, loved ones. We don't know what 2021 is going to bring. Right now, as of today, it looks like at least for a season, it's going to bring more of the same. So I, I want to do a two-part series here. I'm kind of calling it uh, good, learning good things from bad times. And today's kind of just simply an introduction to that because I'm going to talk about what are the good things we can learn from the bad times because God never wastes or hurt. God never wastes a problem if we allow him to work and to speak and to teach us through it. Storms, I want to talk about those today because we've been in a storm. We've been in a tsunami of happening for over nine months. What are storms caused by? Well, they're caused by the enemy of our soul, Satan, who is the ruler and power and principality of this world, Ephesians 6. Uh, They're caused by other people. They do things to us. Uh, Life decisions and choices that we make out of God's will, focused on our own will. I mean, just remember Jonah. Uh, He decided, said, God, I'm going to go the opposite way you want me to. Uh, He faced some significant storms. How about life circumstances? Those things that are unknown But they're allowed by the Lord. I would say this whole uh, pandemic issue that we've been going through is part of that. It's just part of life and a fallen creation. Uh, Matthew 5.45 says this. 
For God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. See, some of these storms can come even when you're in God's will. We see that throughout Scripture. Paul was rejected, beaten, and he was shipwrecked as, uh, even though he was living out and fulfilling God's call on his life. The three Hebrew children, uh, they were teens in Daniel chapter 3. They were thrown into a fiery furnace. Daniel, who was an incredible Christian man, follower in a pagan nation, uh, was thrown in the teeth of the lion's den. All of these people were experiencing storms. And it's a great reminder that so many of us who love God, we begin to believe, we get this false notion that we should be exempt from storms. But that's not true. That's not what we see ever in the scripture because God always has a purpose for them. And we're always going to experience storms in and throughout our life. That's why there's so much writings, Romans chapter 5, James chapter 1, where it talks about persevere and endure, knowing that these storms, these difficulties, these trials, these tribulations, these testings are really established to help us grow and to mature. And they don't all come from God as I initially stated. But so many people think, well, if I just follow Jesus, and if anybody ever tells you follow Jesus and he'll take care of all of your problems, uh, <laughs> steer clear from them because that's not what he does. He doesn't take care of all of your problems. He gives you a guided to or through your problems. And he wants to help you and he wants to go with you. Uh, but ultimately he wants to mature you. Nobody can take an exemption on storms and problems. Nobody can audit life 101 and be problem-free. So I want to read today about a familiar storm, one of my favorite passages in the Scriptures. You'll find it in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew 14, verse 22, and it says this. Jesus has just fed the 5,000. He's been ministering all day, and now they're into the night. And it says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. After dismissing the crowds, well, Jesus goes up to the mountain by himself, and he's going to get some time with his father. And it says that he prayed. Now they're well into the night. He was there all alone. Meanwhile, the boat was already some distance from the land. It was being battered by the waves because the wind was against them. Jesus came toward them walking on the sea very early in the morning. They left in the night. Now it's very early in the morning. We have a, you know, we have a, a time continuum that's taking place here. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately... Uh, Jesus spoke to them and he said, have courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. <laughs> and then impetuous Peter, I love this guy. Lord, if it's you, Peter answered, command me to come to you on the water. And so Jesus says, okay, well, come on. And climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and he came toward Jesus uh, but when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Wow, what a great prayer. Have you prayed that in these last nine months? Uh, I'm sure you have, I have. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him <clears throat> and said to him, oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? And they got in the boat, the wind ceased and then those in the boat worshipped him and said, truly, 
You are the son of God. Verse 34, when they had crossed over, they came to the shore of the Gennesaret. You know, the nature of storms are really important. Because ultimately, when they come in our lives, they really reveal, reveal a number of things. They reveal the nature of my faith. They're going to show the strength of my commitment. They're going to reveal to me the level of my maturity and the health of the attitude of my heart. And they're going to measure my teachability. Am I going to learn from this or am I going to run from it? Am I going to allow the Lord to speak to me through it or am I going to complain about it? Because it's really important to never forget God has a plan and a purpose for everything we face and everything we go through. We read it here in verse 22. It said immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side. I suppose for many of us, you can look back over your life and you can begin to see the, the connect the dots from where God first started working in your life to where he's brought you to what you are today. For me, it is, excuse me, undeniable what God has done. And when I begin to look back and connect the dots, uh, it's been, been a lot of storms. And yet I can see where God has brought me through every one of them. Parenthetically, I, I hope you have some of those times. I hope you've been able to, since you've decided to follow Jesus, that you can look back and say, oh yeah, <laughs> here's where it started. Oh boy, this time here is where I saw Jesus at work in my life, in my heart. Oh boy, I saw his saving and rescuing power over here. I hope you can do that, loved ones, because that's so important to make it through those well, tsunamis and the storms that we face. See, the scriptures are clear in Romans 8.28. It says this, and this is going to kind of be our key verse for next week. And we know that in all things, God works for good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Now, I know. <laughs> Has anybody ever you gone through a tough time and somebody comes up and quotes that to you? Well, you know, God causes all things to work together for good for those who love him and are called by him. And don't you want to just say, go eat a bag of worms or I mean something? You know, you just go, are you kidding me? That's not what I need to hear. I don't need to hear God's at work. I need some cash. I don't need to hear it's going to work together for good. I need some money. I need, I need some healing. I don't need verses. The reason we struggle with this verse so much, loved ones, is because we often stop at verse 28 and don't go down to verse 29. Where it continues and it says, For those God foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, Jesus. See, the reason you and I face what we face, and I'm like you, I don't like it. I'm not standing up here and saying, oh, I've got this. I don't like it either. But here's what I've got to remember. Everything that comes, loved ones, in the past nine months, in the next nine months, is to conform us into the image of Jesus. Whatever is going on in your life, it isn't about making your business grow. It isn't about making your life easier or making you happier, that everything is in place and synchronized and moving forward. If you don't get anything else, get this. It's to make you more like Jesus. See, when you're going through, I don't know about you, but you often wonder, I don't know, Lord, what you're doing, but I'm learning, I'm learning to be able to declare, I don't know what I'm going through, Lord, or what I'm experiencing, or the why, 
but I know that you have a purpose for it. And Lord, give me the faith to be able to step out and to lean into those things. See, God put us here, loved ones, on this earth because he has a plan for you. And it's always, always good because he's a good God. And as we sang, he's a way maker. So thankful for that. Second thing that's so important in these things is that God sees everything we experience. If you want to lose, if you want to begin to doubt, if you want to lose faith and step away, you'll begin to doubt that God sees everything we experience. If you take the parallel passage of this written by Mark in the gospel of Mark chapter 6, here's what, how, one of the angles that he took on this. After leaving them, Jesus went up the mountainside to pray. Later that night, the boat was in the middle of the lake. And Jesus was alone on land. Why? Because he was praying to his father. He saw the disciples out in the middle of the lake. It's a big lake. And what are they doing? It says they were straining at the oars because the wind was against that, against them. Catch this. Jesus was awake all night. He was praying for them, watching over them. We have a hard time believing that sometimes. The psalmist said it this way, that, that the God of Israel, he neither sleeps nor slumbers. He doesn't fall asleep on the job. He doesn't lose track of where you are or where I am. And that's so important in these days. We have a Savior who then was up on the mountain. We see him watching over his followers who in the, are in the midst of the greatest storm they ever faced. We have that same Savior, loved ones, who's at the right hand of God praying for you and for me today. Hebrews 7.25 says, Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through Jesus, since he always lives. He always lives to pray and to make intercession for us, for you, for me. He never takes his eyes off us. He knows and he sees everything that we're facing. And he sits there and he's praying for us. He's asking his father, Father, would you just watch over them? Would you bless them? And he watches over us today. I don't know about you, but if you really understand this, or if you at least begin to believe it and allow that to seep deeply into the pores of your soul and heart, it can begin to crowd out a lot of the fears that we face. A lot of the worries that we take on. A lot of the worries that become warts on our soul because we're always worrying. See, we didn't grow up worrying. And a few reasons why I believe this is so important that we trust and believe that God sees everything of our life. If you don't, you will never enjoy today. If you worry, it's difficult to have a good day today because what are you doing? You're thinking about, you're worrying about what could happen, what might come. And the statistics bear out that usually those things don't even ever come. But we worry. And if I know God's got a purpose, then if something does come, whatever does come my way, guess what? There's going to be a purpose behind it. And I can trust him that he's not going to take his eye off me. And I can trust that he's praying for me as I face that. And I want to enjoy today. How many days have we lost because of our worries and our fears? 
And then you'll never forget your heavenly father cares. Never forget that your heavenly father cares. Jesus is teaching a few chapters back in Matthew chapter 6. It's very familiar to most or to many. And it tells about how much the father cares and he's overseeing your life. It says, he uses this analogy. He says, you got these birds that are flying around. He feeds them. He clothes them. He takes care of them. He knows if they fall. And Jesus says, if he takes that kind of oversight and care for a bird, what's he going to do for his kids that he loves so much? And he says, what you've got to do is quit focusing on all of these exterior outward things. And I'm not saying be irresponsible or anything like that. Obviously, you've got to pay your bills. You've got to take care of your kids. But there's a sense where you say, God, you're going to, I'm looking to you. I'm going to trust you because I'm going to seek you first and your kingdom first. I mean, imagine, many of us are parents. Imagine if you got a call one day from, from the school and they said, boy, your child just so upset. I mean, he's just, we, we can't get him under control. He's screaming. He's, he's crying. He's, he's just out of control. And you say, well, well, why would that be? And he says, he's not sure that, that you're going to come pick him up on the right time. He's not sure that he's going to have a home to live in. He's not sure that you're going to feed him a good meal tonight. He just, he's not sure. I don't know about you, but that would break my heart as a father if that could ever, if that would ever happen. But, you know, isn't that really when we worry, when we fret, when we complain? Isn't that the message we send to God? I can't trust you with my life. I can't trust you with my business. I can't trust you with my kids. I can't trust you with my finances. Uh, Hear me, loved ones. That becomes a warning light that we forget how much God cares for us. And you say, well, man, it's been nine months. Well, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. See, I want to be a son. I want to be a daughter. I want to raise up the people around me who would be able to say, God, no matter where you put me, no matter what storm I face, I'm going to look to you and trust in you. And you really do that by getting into his word and reading his promises. Because if you don't do those things, you will forget about God's promises. If you don't remember that he's always there and watching over you, you'll forget about his promises. Here's one. If you read the Psalms, they are replete with all of these promises from God. But this is one that I love. It's six simple words. My times are in your hands. Say that with me. Give it some gusto. My times are in your hands. Psalm 31, 15, my times. That is to say that my ups and my downs, my health, my sickness, my resources, my lack of resources, my wealth, all of these things, they are in the hand of God who arranges and he appoints according to his sovereign will. And he's promised to meet our needs. (laughs) And maybe not all of our wants, but he's promised to meet our needs. See, worriers have a tendency to lose faith and their sight in Jesus. You look around and like Peter, you begin to be troubled by the waves and the winds that surround you. And pretty soon, man, you want to jump ship too. Isn't it true? God's people, many of them have such short memories. It's so easy to panic. And when you do, it leads you to forget his promises, to jump ship, to bail out instead of keep bailing. 
In Exodus 20, we see the, this major significant love letter of God to his people. When they're still in the desert, it's called the Ten Commandments. But right before he issues those, before these declarations from the top of Mount Sinai come down, he speaks in Exodus uh, chapter 19, right before the Ten Commandments. He says, I want you to know this. I bore you on eagle's wings. Now think about that. It's a picture of what mama eagles do. They, they can be massive, massive birds. It's how she teaches her little eaglets to fly. She takes them as high as she can go, and then she drops them. And you've got these little eaglets that are fluttering all around. But because she's so massive and she has such skill flying, she flies under them. And before they could hit the ground, I mean, they're flying it, or they're dropping at mock speed, and they're fluttering and flailing. But if they haven't been able to fly it, she swoops under them and she catches them. And God's saying before he gives these 10 directives, his 10 commandments, he says, I want you to remember all that I've done for you, that I love you, that I care for you. Don't forget, I parted the waters protecting you from the enemies that were chasing you down. I provided water in the desert when you didn't have it. I provided food when there was no source around you. I protected you. I provided for you. And I don't want you to forget that. And see, these 10 commandments then become a testimony of God's love and his promises to them and to us today because they're always for our benefit and our blessing. They become the greatest guards rail of life. He says, I'm concerned about your past, but I'm also concerned about your present and your future. And I don't want you to destroy your life from bad choices. See, that's the God that always sees us. That's the God that's always watching over us and protecting us. And then God's always on time. <laughs> I, I hear those laughs. I hear those chuckles out there. <laughs> really? Nine months? He's always on time. Matthew 14, 25 to 27 says, around three in the morning, he came forward then, uh, to them walking on the sea. Then the disciples saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified. It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear, and immediately Jesus spoke to them. Have courage. Listen, don't be afraid. The greatest reason that I understand to wait on God, if you remember the story of Lazarus, he was sick and he was dying and his sisters came and said, Jesus, would you come and heal my brother, our brother? <laughs> Jesus takes his time. Are you kidding me? He takes his time and he arrives there in a couple of days. And by the time he gets there, his sisters, uh, Lazarus' sisters come running out and they say, Jesus, he's dead. If you would have been here sooner, it could have been taken care of. And Jesus walks over and he says, show me where the tomb is. He walks over to the tomb and it says, Jesus loved him. And you go, that doesn't make sense. I mean, why in the world would he do that? He says he loves him, but he took two days and let him die. Thank you very much. I don't need that kind of love. But the Bible says that Jesus spoke Lazarus' name and he resurrects him. Remember, Jesus had touched and healed many people. People had saw about it and they'd heard about Jesus, but Jesus hadn't done this in front of a crowd. So Jesus shows up and he raises him from the tomb. But before he does that, this is what he says. I'm glad for you I wasn't there so you may believe. Let's go to him.
I, I believe, loved ones, for a lot of us, God says, would you trust me because I want you to believe I am who I am. He can walk into any situation and do the same for us. He can come to you in your storm, in this dead situation, and do something he hasn't done before in your life. Will you look to him, trust in him? And oftentimes it may be the darkest and most difficult time that he comes to your life. Notice it says to the disciples, they leave in the evening and they're fighting and they're working the oars like crazy. And it says Jesus arrives in the morning. The disciples, these are trained men of the sea. But they're not in control of anything now. They have been at the oars for hours. They're fighting the winds. They're rowing to stay afloat for six to eight hours they're involved in this and they're still a distance from shore they're in despair they're worried they're frustrated they're frightened they have to be somewhat nauseated because they're fighting uh, all of this wind and storms and sometimes the worst thing about enduring storms is enduring the exhaustion a lot of people are exhausted you might be uh, but it's during these pre-dawn hours when it's darkest. I remember when I worked at Crown Zeller back at a paper mill. I often had to work graveyard, and I'd go out three or four in the morning. It just seemed like it was dark, <laughs> and I was always most tired then. And it's here you start thinking, am I going crazy in this whole thing? I think maybe I just want to give up. I don't know if I'm going to make it. <laughs> Frankly, this is too much to bear. And it's at those times, loved ones, that we want to lay down our oars and we want to give up. And it's oftentimes right then that Jesus shows up. And he says, take courage. It is I. And he'll oftentimes come so that in the time when you're facing your greatest fears, verse 26, he comes walking on the very thing, the water that caused their greatest fear. They're bailing and they're fighting the pounding waves and Jesus comes and says, hey guys, I'm here. Look to me. Because what God is doing, he did it with Peter there as well, but he's always working to produce growth in you and I. You may be wondering why God's promise hasn't been fulfilled in your life. Take hope. Because there's often a gap between the promise of God and the performance of God in areas of our lives. Because God could have come, Jesus could have come five hours earlier, four hours earlier, but he says, I'm going to let them work a little bit. It takes faith to keep your eyes off your limitations and your problems and focused on Jesus because that begins to develop and show you the maturity of your life. Am I going to focus on all the junk around here or am I going to stay focused on Jesus? I said it before and I believe this wholeheartedly that God, he didn't cause the pandemic for this, but he's using this time to distill things from his church, from the American church that is focused on comfort, convenience, and consuming. We have become a church that wants it all about us. And I think God says, you know what? This has come. I'm going to use it. And see, we want to blame the government. But I'm convinced God's using it to find out, testing our character, 
testing our trust? Is it about us and our comfort? Or is it about learning what Jesus wants to do and speak to and into us? What does he want to change about the church today? What does he want us as individuals to learn about serving and giving of his life? Not just coming so we can get the Holy Ghost goosebumps. Not so we can come so we can always feel good. I think it's more about being discipled and growing and maturing. Because see, two things in life God doesn't have to explain. He doesn't have to explain how. How will he bring about his promises? And he doesn't have to explain when. When will it come about? See, with Lazarus, he didn't explain anything. See it with the disciples here. It just happens. A maturing faith doesn't have to have answers, loved ones, to believe and to trust. The Lord wants us to have faith that births contentment and confidence in our lives, in our actions, in our words as we speak. During and in the midst of the impossibilities that we face. The reason we face what we face and what we go through, why we go through what we go through is because God is up to something and he's working. He's working in you. He's working in me. He's working in the folks that are here today. He's working on everybody online and he's working in his church. And that's why I want to talk about next week. What are the, what are the good things that we're learning from bad times? Because it's so important. If you leave these nine months, if you're here today and you can't look back and say, this is what I've learned, man, it's been a wasted nine months, hasn't it? But if you're going to do this, it's going to require some decisions by you. The first one is you've got to make a determined decision. You need to settle in your hearts in advance the conviction that God will not let anything touch your life that will not reveal sin, facilitate growth, or lead you to repentance and a greater relationship with him. That has to be a determined decision. Because if you don't, when you get into these times, you won't be looking for God and what he's teaching you. You'll be looking to complain and bellyache and blame. It's going to take personal dedication. See, God has a plan and a purpose. He's got a timetable. And resting in that and working with it and walking through it requires a commitment to persevere when a lot of others won't or don't. Dedication requires a commitment to be teachable, to be patient, to trust, and to be obedient and thankful during the storms. And that's what we're going to look at next week. See, a lot of people misunderstand the ways of God, but if you understand him, that's all you need to do. Nothing else matters. You need a sense of personal destiny. You need to decide, I have destiny. I'm a person of destiny. Those who successfully face storms keep their eyes on the bigger picture. They understand that growth comes from the difficult times. They understand that they have a calling to fulfill. They have a purpose to live out. I mean, just an easy point of application. If you're a parent today, you're thinking, I am zoomed out, I am schooled out, I am burned out. But that's because of the pandemic and the results of that. What's your calling? Your calling is to raise and teach your kids. What greater opportunity to be able to integrate the love of God and the patience of Christ and biblical truth in the midst of everything they're learning.
See, when you see the big picture, it can begin to change the perspective. And the last thing is humility. And this simply means, loved ones, that to really be a humble person before God is, I can't, but he can. We can't do everything ourselves. That's really a good thing to admit it. It's a good thing to admit to ourselves and to others that, you know what, there are, there's just things that are above my pay grade, out of my hands. I can't do it. And what do we say then? Hopefully I need God. Because that's what humility is. First Peter 5, 6 says that God gives grace to the humble. Peter said after going through, listen, you know who said that? God gives grace to the humble. It's the most unhumble person in the world. But because God worked through him and he listened and followed him and stuck with him and persevered, became a very humble man at the end of his life. And don't forget, loved ones, God has the final word. Matthew 14, verse 22, he tells his disciples, go to the other side. (laughs) I love this. Verse 34, they arrived. Wherever God has called you, wherever he says to go, if you'll follow him, be committed to him and persevere and endure no matter what you face, guess what? You will get there because God's will never fails. I love the simplicity of that. Go, arrive. Go, arrive. <laughs> it's, it's verses 23 through 33 that I don't really care for, or I'm straining and rowing and fighting everything. But I think what Jesus would say to us, quit fighting, keep rowing, but don't think you're going to be able to do it all on your own. Come with humility. You know what? Here's a great principle. Rowers and prayers arrive at the same place, at the same time. But I don't want to fight it. I just want to do what God's called me to do. And I want to pray. And I want to trust him. I want you to step into 2021 with greater faith. Not with a complaint about how many more months of this, but with, God, what do you want to do in me and through me in this season? Would you pray with me? Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your great love and your grace. I want to thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. I want to thank you, Lord, that we can see bigger principles, grander works at play in everything that is happening in our world today. Uh, Some would say, ah, it's just holy hopefulness. No, I think it's a holy perspective that God is at work in our lives, in his church and in this world. So Lord, I pray, maybe you're here today, loved ones, and maybe you've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ. You have no peace. You have no purpose. You don't feel like you have any eternal destiny. I want to invite you today to invite the eternal one into your heart and your life to say, Jesus, I want you. I want to follow you. I want you to come and step in to the middle of my storm and teach me. It doesn't mean he's going to remove the storm, but it does mean he'll give you a guided tour and hope through it. And if that would be you today, I invite you just to, uh, there's a place there, a little icon that says, click here. It's got a little hand and you click on that and just say, today I choose Jesus. I choose Jesus today. 
And we'd love to hear your name or go to a chat room and just say, hi, I'm Terry Riley, and I just clicked there. Somebody just pray with me. Somebody would love to pray with you today. But you don't have to do this pandemic. You don't have to do this life in this world alone. You've got a God that's always with you. I want to pray for others today that you, you would be prepared to face 2021 because you've been through 2020. That there'd be lessons you would learn from the past that pull you into the present with greater purpose. Heavenly Father, I pray for my friends today, Lord, that would raise their hand and say, I want to choose, I want to follow Jesus. I pray, Lord, that this significant moment for them would be so real that you would envelop them and embrace them with your presence and your power and your love, that they would know that this isn't just uh, uh, something coming through a speaker or a communicator, but it would be, God, I sent you here now, and that they would just simply acknowledge they're sinners and they have need of a Savior. And I pray that they would know your presence. Today. Lord, I pray for those who've been following you, who know you, While everybody is saying this is the worst year ever, they would be able to go, well, it is, but you know what? I've learned some great lessons be from the one that I follow. And I'm going to believe God's going to continue to teach me in the season ahead. Oh, God, do that in this church, this people, this nation, this world. Let us as Christ followers be people of great hope as we move in to a new year. For that, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.